Welcome to the podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. This show is sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at Gemmer.com. Hi, everyone. I'm in Costa Mesa, California, and uh, it's beautiful here. No snow. Wonderful. And I'm doing a very unusual podcast today. We're going to go back into the history of antique and vintage vacuum cleaners. Yes, that's right. And I'm here with Ken Beach. How are you, Ken? I am super fantastic. You know, when you said there's no snow here in California, that's right. But did you hear about the weather in Mexico? No. Yeah, it's chilly today, hot tamale. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's, that's, our, that's our guest, Ken Beach. Uh, Ken, so uh, first of all, I'm going to ask you, why the fascination with vacuum cleaners? Well, actually, I've been in the vacuum cleaner business 49 years and in 22 countries. And so... Um, it's something that when I went back in history and saw the, all the old timers that were knocking doors and selling vacuums, I had a respect for those guys getting out there working. And I just kind of wanted to be those guys. I heard about when I grew up, guys would load their car up and go out and, and sell, you know, and not come back home until they sold all their machines. Electrolux was a company that did that out in the old times. And they used to have a lot of door to door people. The Tinker sold pots and pans. And you know why they called him Tinker? Okay, because he had the pots and pans on his horse hanging over the saddle and everything, and when he would, the horse would move, you'd hear the pans hit together, and they'd say, here comes the tinker, okay, because of the, the noise, okay? And he'd come in and sit down and sell you a set of pots and pans. Well, I just like those old guys going farm to farm and door to door. And so um, I was actually hired um, right out of high school, and um, the ad that actually hired me in the vacuum business was sleep till noon and drive a Cadillac. And I said, that's cool. I wanted a you know, party. I was a young guy. And I could go in. Our sales meeting was at 1 o'clock. And then we'd go out knocking doors. And so that was Kirby Vacuum Cleaners. And um, so from there, I spent 14 years in Kirby. I had no idea what it was. And then um, I spent the next 14 years in Rainbow, a water machine. I spent the next 14 years... I was a vice president and and in manufacturing of the what's called the Fairfax, and we moved it from Canada to the United States. And um, all these are in the home direct sales companies. And then I went back to Rainbow, and today I'm a divisional supervisor with a company called Filter Queen, um, that's uh, made in Cleveland, Ohio, and sold in over 50 countries. And so it's one of the things that we make in the United States that we now get to sell all over the world. And I've been in 22 countries with it. But the fascination was to go back and research some of the old vacuums and how they were originally made. Yeah, let's talk about what is the uh, first known vacuum cleaner and, and how did it work? Okay, the first, um, uh, actually they didn't call them vacuums back then, okay. Uh, they didn't know what to call them. They called them cleaning machines and things. The word vacuum didn't come out until really 1901 or in there, vacuum cleaner. But um, 1860, uh, there was a fellow that invented a machine called a grasshopper. And basically what it was is a bellows handle that you pumped. And as you pumped the handle, it was non-electric, of course. And as you pumped the handle, the bellows moved in and out. And it had a nozzle on the front, which created suction that picked up things. And so you'd you'd walk around with it, and you had to pump, like pumping water, and you had to keep pumping. So if you got tired, you could get tired pretty quick. You know, couldn't do a big area. Not because of the machine, because you'd, you'd run out of gas yourself. And what they did in the early 1900s was put like this. They were gasoline-powered. And guys invented a gasoline-powered machine that was so big and bulky, they had to put it on horse and carriage. And rather than selling vacuums, they would go door-to-door and say, Mrs. Jones will clean your house. And they'd run this pipe inside, kind of like they do today on big steam cleaners and things like that. You'll see them truck-mounted. And they would um, um, charge like $4, which would be a lot back then, wouldn't it, okay, 
to clean your house for you. And um, so they, they sold those to franchise guys that went around and they, they cleaned houses. They didn't really sell them as a, as a unit. One of the first guys that um, sold uh, uh, machines as a, quote, vacuum cleaner was a guy named Bissell, who uh, today still has a, the company, and the Bissell's a popular brand today. You see it in Walmart, Kmart, places like that. But that's where that came from because he's one of the first in the industry. Jim Hoover also had a, a patent early. Uh, or Jim Kirby, okay. Well, there was a guy named Hoover, but Jim Kirby then and Hoover had a fight o- over patents. And um, could you patent a vacuum cleaner? And it went to court, and Kirby won the fight because you can't patent the vacuum. So they had, now they had the Hoover vacuum and the Kirby vacuum. But Hoover thought, well, we can patent vacuum, but you can't patent the principal. And so um, uh, uh, there's a lot of store-bought brands, and those brands became popular. But then in the home direct sales is where in the 60s, the 50s and 60s, a lot of vacuums were sold. Um, Electrolux um, would uh, go out knocking doors and they'd show in the home and they'd give a presentation and they sold machines. And they set a record for more vacuum cleaners sold in the 50s in the three-year period than any other machine ever did. And then uh, we didn't have a lot of carpet in the 50s. And as carpet increased... Then somebody said, well, you need a brush in action to lift the carpeting. So the upright machines were invented, and Kirby took the forefront, and they sold a lot of machines in the 60s and the 70s because they had a motor-driven brush. Well, then the canister companies, and there's two types of vacuums, canisters and uprights, and the canister companies uh, lost market share because nobody was buying the canisters because of the brushing action. So Eureka invented what was called the power nozzle, which you see today is a motor-driven brush on the end of a hose with an electric, uh, electricity line to the machine itself. It's called a power nozzle. And that brought the canister companies back into the shares. And now Rainbow, being a canister company with a power nozzle, uh, jumped out there and did a business, and Rainbow cleans through water. But an interesting thing here is that in the business, the guys were always taught that didn't have the brush when the brushes come out, and of course, you're going to sell what you what you have to sell. Oh, Mrs. Jones, you don't want a brush because it beats the carpeting, and it lifts the carpet and beats it down, and you'll tear the nap out because the jute backing will be broken down. So they were used to pitching that without a, uh, they called it the jet action, without a, a brush. Well, then the brushing companies came out. Well, the old salesmen couldn't sell that machine because their mindset so what we had to do is get rid of all those guys and tell the new kids, oh, you need that brush because, see, it lifts the carpeting, and now you can clean down between the fibers. Well, the new kids didn't have it in their mind that a brush hurt, so boom. Then the, the, the brushing company started selling a lot, and, again, Rainbow, TriStar, uh, and some of those companies took away. Now, Rainbow was the original water machine. Today there are 13 water machines on the market, um, a big power not going to name them all, but Heile, okay, which means that German frog made in Germany. Um, um, there are several machines that, that uh, are made water because of copying that water concept. One is made uh, called Rotello in Lebanon now, okay. Uh, but they're all over the world in the water machines, and the pitch there is is that the dust is trapped in the water Mother Nature's way. But then, okay, uh, Filter Queen has been in a business 50, well, since 1928, almost 80 years. And to me, 
um, uh, it's my favorite because it doesn't put dust in the air like a vacuum. Um, it's coated with silver so that it kills germs and bacteria. Um, and um, it has several advantages over a conventional vacuum. So vacuum cleaners have come a long way in the in, since the 1900s. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was thinking about when this cart used to pull up to the houses, and it, so I'm picturing like a hose out to this gasoline engine, and it just blow it to the wind. Is that what it did? That's what it did. It just blew it out. In fact, a lot of them didn't have brushes back then. Okay, they just it was just a suction machine, and it would just create that, and it would just blow it out. Yeah, and wind would blow it back in. <laughs> right. Now, um, the thing that I, I wonder is. Why was the vacuum cleaner invented in the first place back when it was a hand pump? Was it just because people's houses, I can picture the, you know, wood fires and they just got really dusty and they got the women. And unfortunately, it was the women who did most of the cleaning or all the cleaning. Did they just get frustrated with um, the house being so dirty? And Yeah, yeah that was just frustration. And an interesting thing on that point is, is that in German, and I've, I've sold them all over the world, but in, in Germany, the actual name for a vacuum cleaner is Staubsaugen or Staubsauger. Now, Staub is dust. Sauger is to blow or to suck. So the little translations, hey, go give me the dust blower. Okay, and that's actually what they call them because that's what it does. I would consider you um, an old-school salesman. Am I, do I have that right? Yeah, I still knock doors most every day of my life. Yeah, I've done it for, like I say, 49 years and taught in the home direct sales and marketing and for several companies and for almost 50 years now. And, and there's not too many of you left, is there, these days? Um, there's more than you think. Many of the direct sales companies try to define some sophisticated way through referrals or, quote, advertising or the computer to get into somebody's home. But honestly, probably the best way is just to go down the street and knock on the door and just tell the people, I'm in the neighborhood showing this equipment. I'll give you a little gift or a prize if you'll give me your opinion. And uh, if we get in the house with a direct sales product, we normally sell about one out of three, uh, one out of three, one out of four, uh, when you can actually give the physical presentation. Because the last point here is quality needs to be told in order to be sold. Mrs. Jones is not going to stand in the store for a two or $3,000 vacuum and take an hour or two hours to understand it. But if she does, many times she wants that better product. And many people use price as their only yardstick in buying. And when they do, they find themselves a lot of times on the short end of the stick. Right. Now, you have a very similar, um, this type of sales that you're doing is very similar to what we call the door knocker or the picker in antiques. You know, and getting in the door is always a real hard thing, the cold call. But you have it down so it's, um, you actually offer a gift. Do a lot of people like slam the door on you? No, the old slam your door in the face, you hear that, that, but it's not really true. I mean, it doesn't happen very often. You know, so one other question: Has this followed suit, or was your father also a salesman, or is there anyone else in the family that um, was like, say, old school sales like you? Okay, yeah, let me answer that. My son, which is a great kid, he uh, grew up in this business, but he didn't really want to do what dad did—sell vacuum cleaners door to door. So he wanted to be educated. So I said, okay. So he went to a four-year college, and when he finished that, he wanted to go to law school. So I sent him to University of Paris, Paris, France, for law school, and. He um, uh, went to law school, got a doctorate degree, and, and came back to California, went to uh, university. Well, he went to um, uh, Whittier School of Law, which is Nixon School, and got another degree. And uh, met a great little girl in that school, by the way, and they got married. 
And, uh, in fact, she's Vietnamese, okay? So the joke of my family is that my, my grandchildren in America made with Vietnamese parts, okay? But, uh, but anyway, uh, then he wanted more education, so he went to University of Georgia Bulldogs, Terry School of Business, one of the top business schools here in America, and got his MBA. So his MBA, JD, doctorate, and um, um, went to school with a lot of people that are now on Wall Street and very responsible jobs. Well, he practiced law for about 10 years, and then he called me, and he said, Dad, I don't want to be an attorney anymore. It's too negative. He said, uh, also, we always had fun in the office when we were knocking doors. And he said, you know, I could wear any colored shirt. And right now I have to wear a white shirt. I can't even wear a blue shirt in the office. My ties have to be approved by the, the partners. And he said, um, I have to have pictures on my desk of my kids, but they have to be approved by the decorator. And, and if I come in at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning or Sunday morning, I, I leave by 7 o'clock. They say, well, you taking the day off? I have to bill about 100 hours a week, which means work more than that. Um, he got um, uh, his um, Mercedes detailed every day, and he had tickets, tickets to Staples Center, but didn't have time to use them. He said, I just don't want to want the lifestyle anymore that this is forcing me. And I think the straw that broke the camel's back was my mom died, which was, of course, his grandmother in Kansas City. The firm wouldn't let him go to the funeral because he'd be gone all night. And so we had it on a Sunday, and he snuck out Saturday and came back in on Sunday so he wouldn't miss too much time. But he said in the vacuum business, we always had fun, and we could play wild music in the office, and we could, you know, have fun. It was just fun. So he told me I'm going to quit being an attorney. The prodigal son's coming home, and uh, he's going to get back in the vacuum business. And so his big shot MBA friend said, you're a doctor, okay, and you got more degrees than a thermometer. What are you doing selling vacuum cleaners door to door? And he said, well, you know what? I have a secure future. And they said, well, especially in this, quote, economy. So he said, if I knock enough doors, I know that I'm going to get in the house. If I get in the house one out of three times, I'm going to sell a machine. So my future is secure. But let me tell you your future. They hired you, uh, one of his buddies uh, uh, hired uh, Delta Airlines. He said, they hired you at Delta because you're a smart guy, okay, MBA, and you can crunch numbers. And let me tell you your future. You're going to crunch a number someday that's going to tell them to lay you off because that's what they do in the airlines industry, lay off people. And um, his buddies on Wall Street say, I can't believe you're knocking doors and selling vacuum cleaners. But you know what? In many cases, he's making a lot more money than they are, and he's happy. And I guess that's the name of that tune. So that shows you the, the uh, benefit of in-the-home direct sales and the vacuum cleaner business. Well, it's been a real pleasure to talk to what I call an old-school salesman. You're awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate being here. Thank you for listening to this podcast at antiqueauctionforum.com. This show was sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at gemmer.com.